Thanks so much for joining us online today. Today we have a special guest speaker, Mike Carmody, bringing us the message. Join us in two weeks as we kick off our Easter series in the final days. Thanks so much and stay tuned to our online series. Man, it's great to be back. Thank you so much for welcoming us back. It's or welcoming me back, I should say. My wife's not here with me this week, and we had some stuff going on at our church, and she needed to be there for that this weekend. But she wanted me to bring her greetings to everyone. Hello from my wife. Um, again, it's always great to come back home. We consider this home. I mean, family. You know, in Christ, you just have family everywhere, and that's that's great. Um, we're always happy to be here, and always happy to come and hang out with you folks and maybe share an encouraging word with you. I want to thank pastors Taylor and Stephanie for believing in us and asking us to come and, and fill in. You know, I was a pastor, I've been a pastor for 34 years and it's not a light decision to have someone come in and preach for you because you love the people that you pastor. And you want them to be cared for, you want them to be ministered to well, you want them uh, to hear things that are encouraging that will help their life and so you're very specific, very particular about who you have come and speak, and I know that Taylor's that way as well, as is Stephanie, and so we're honored, I'm honored to be able to come and be here today and share with you. So glad to hear that Pastor Taylor is in Israel. Uh, when he told me that he was going to Israel, I was very excited about that. Um, it's, it's a fantastic event. It's a good, great thing to do. It gives you a whole different perspective of the scriptures. When you read the scripture, you can actually see the places and you can remember being there and you can remember the feel of that, that very special place. So I'm really glad that he was able to uh, go and do that. I um, wanted to talk real quick about this uh, favorite spring activity and what Stephanie was saying about the person who their favorite you know, spring activity was picking up frozen dog poop in the backyard. Just did that this last week. Uh, we, have a, we have a Yorkshire Terrier. She's just a little bitty five-pound thing. Uh, but somehow over the winter, when the snow starts to melt, the things just get bigger. And so I want to get them picked up while they're frozen before they get all... And I had a whole bag full of that stuff. Anyway, uh, that's not really what I came here to talk about. But uh, I wouldn't say that's my favorite spring activity, but it is something that you tend to have to do if you have a dog. Um, but um, I think my favorite spring activity is warm weather. I don't know about anybody else, but uh, I've had enough cold for the winter. I'm ready for this thing to turn around. And glad, glad February's over. February was a rough month in our area. I'm sure it was here, too. So anyway, let me tell you a little bit of background in case there's somebody here that I haven't met yet or you don't remember seeing me before, uh, just so you know who this guy is up here talking to you. Um, I like to tell this story. My mother always loved to tell this story. I, I came along fourth of four children, so I was the last. And my mom was almost 40 years old when I came along. And uh, I was unexpected. I was like a surprise, you know. And when she first went to the doctor, I was diagnosed as a tumor. And uh, so my mother used to love to tell that story. You know, this is my little tumor. And uh, she, said, she said she went and got a second opinion. I've always said, Mom, I'm so glad you went and got that second opinion because, I mean, you know, that's kind of a rough start. But I, I tell people, you know, when you start life as a tumor, there's no place to go but up, for one thing. <laughs> And also, not only that, but anything you accomplish, it's like, wow, that's amazing. You see what that tumor just did? I mean, that's really something, you know. So um, anyway, started with that. I was a product of the 70s, group in the 70s drug culture and kind of fell into that. Everybody I knew in school kind of fell into the same kind of thing. And uh, so by the time I was 23 years old, I was strung out on acid, done a lot of coke uh, up until that point. And, uh, you know, my, my life was really kind of a mess, and I bumped into... A presence, I guess the only way I can say it. My wife and I decided we were, we'd been married for three years at that time. And uh, we separated and we were moving toward divorce. 
and we decided to give this one more shot and uh, so we kind of started looking for something that would give our lives some significance and we found a relationship with God this year we'll celebrate 47 years of marriage married to the same woman for 47 years um, and honestly, we shouldn't have lasted more than three, but because of the goodness of God, we're still together. So I've uh, been pastoring since 1982. I've been pastoring in Fort Dodge since 1985. Um, and two years ago, I turned the church over. Uh, as a senior pastor, I turned it over to my son, who's 36 years old. And he is now the senior pastor, and I'm his associate. And uh, if you want to, if you really want to know what's in you, work for your children, uh, because it really pulls a lot out. We're, we're, the church is doing great. Things are going really well. Um, but, you know, it's just different generation, different ways of doing things. And, and I've had to let go of the reins and let him do that and be supportive of what he's doing. And he's doing a great job, doing a fantastic job. Uh, but it's been a growing process for me. So um, anyway, that's, uh, that's kind of what's going on still there. But because I'm now the associate pastor, I'm not as tied down. So I get to come and do things like this. And uh, doing a little more mission work. Last October, we were in Israel, had a, or in uh, India, excuse me, I got Israel in my brain today. We were in India, had a great time there, and uh, were able to get into several villages that were tribal villages. Um, in fact, my wife and I and the gentleman that we went with in two of these villages, we were the first Caucasians that had ever visited those villages. They were way out in the, in the boonies, way out in the middle of nowhere, and... Uh, we saw how the people lived and how the, the great needs that they had, especially for water. And so my wife and I have taken it upon ourselves to um, fund the drilling of three wells, a well in each of these three villages, so they have a hand pump for water instead of having to walk a mile to get to a stream to get dirty, mucky water out of a stream. Um, and so we're in the process of doing that right now. And uh, just excited about uh, those kinds of things. But anyway, I'm here this morning to talk with you. Uh, Pastor Taylor said he's not really in a series right now, so he said you can do anything you want to, which is always a dangerous thing to tell a pastor. The only thing more dangerous than that is you can take as much time as you want. I mean, those are the two things. So anyway, for the next three and a half hours, I want to break down uh, a couple passages here for you. Oh, you think I'm kidding? No, I am kidding. Um, no, I'll just, I'll just share until I'm done. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, there are several Bible passages that are really well known, uh, that you, people who aren't Christians or people who don't attend churches probably have even, uh, some of them anyway, uh, some of these verses, they've probably heard of them, and they're, they're verses, un undoubtedly, we've heard of John 3.16, for example, uh, kind, of the, kind of the cornerstone, I guess you could say, of the gospel, for God so loved the world that he gave his son, and there's a lot of different translations to it, but basically that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, it's a great passage, is it not? John chapter 4, verse 23, talks about how God is looking for those who worship in spirit and in truth. Jeremiah 29, 11, uh, talks about how that God's plans for us are good and not evil. And 23rd Psalm, which unfortunately has become a funeral verse, funeral passage. Uh, it's really not about death as much as it's about life. And of course, death is a part of life, so yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death is in there. But it's not just a funeral passage, it's a tremendous amount of life within Psalm 23. And of course, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, and they're all very, these are all very positive, and I think that's why they're so popular, or why they're so well known, because they're very popular, uh, because they're, they're very positive verses. They speak a positive encouragement to us. I mean, who can read John 3.16 and walk away saddened by the fact that God loved the world? Insert your name in there. God loved you so much that he sent his son. It's an amazing gift. It's an amazing passage. 
or any of these that we read um, that, you know, are those kind of verses that really bring that kind of encouragement. And I wanted to begin today with such a verse, a verse similar to those. And uh, this one is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. The Apostle Paul, who wrote 14 of the 27 books of the New Testament, or at least is credited for writing um, uh, 14 of the 27 books of the New Testament, wrote this passage in, first, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, would you do me a favor and say, in Christ with me? When I get to that part, say it with me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Again, this is one of those verses that falls into that category of very encouraging, uh, very positive, something that can be very helpful to us in our lives. And this kind of a hallmark, really, of the gospel message in the sense that there is a way for us as humans to have old things pass away and for everything to become new. There is a, there's a way for us as individuals to have our past laid to rest and a brand new future open up before us, which is really what this verse is talking about. Um, and whether our past is good or bad, my particular past, you know, I told you a little bit about my background, and uh, I mean, sometimes memory can be a curse. I remember some of the things from my past that I wish I couldn't remember. Uh, 1978's completely gone. I don't remember any of that. But um, there, there's other parts, you know, that you want to kind of forget that kind of hang on. But the fact of the matter is, when it says the old things pass away, there's, a, there's been given us an opportunity for our past to be removed in a brand new future to open up in front of us. And one of the things I do um, in Fort Dodge, I work with a, um, a rehab, drug and alcohol rehab program there. It's a 21-day in-house program. I've been going there for 29 years and doing a uh, group on a volunteer basis once a week. And one of the things I, I talk about with them is that your past doesn't have to dictate your future. And one of the things we use to talk about that is this very thing, that if we are in Christ, old things pass away and everything becomes brand new. And so when we, when we think about this, try to help you kind of get, get our minds a little bit around this idea of in Christ, which is what I want to talk about for a few minutes today. Um, this biblical concept of, concept of being in Christ is a little bit like uh, what we would know commonly as adoption. Uh, the adoption of a child. In adoption, a child is taken from one situation and placed into another situation. Um, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of different uh, scenarios, a lot of backgrounds that can go on with adoption, but generally speaking, we could say that uh, we have a, a child who goes from needing a home in a stable family environment to having a stable home and a stable family. And that's the idea of adoption. They become part of another family. They get woven into another family. And I've read some things about the Eastern culture, and especially during uh, the, the, the period of time we would think of as the writing of the Gospels and the life of Christ, um, is that when a family adopted a child, a, a natural born child could be written out of your will, but an adopted child couldn't be. Or at least that's the, the concept, at least in some cultures, that once a child was adopted, that child could not be written out of your will. So you had to really be thoughtful about whether or not you wanted to adopt. Uh, and so that kind of permanency, that kind of connection uh, there, the spiritual connotation there, of course, would be that without God, um, I was like a spiritual orphan. I didn't know where I belonged, didn't know where I fit. Um, in need of a spiritual home and a spiritual family, being in Christ means we get adopted into his family. We, be, we come into the family of Christ, which, again, is a very beautiful thing. Like I said, when I come here, I really do feel like I'm with family. I don't know all of you very well. I've only been to one of your homes, and I don't know, I mean, I don't know you. We don't hang out together, but I still feel like we're family. I believe that we met at Calvary 2,000 years ago, and we're just getting reacquainted. 
And so, you know, we think about that idea, that concept of family. When a child um, is adopted, old things pass away and everything becomes new. Walks out of one situation into another situation and everything changes. He's in a new family. And it's the same with those who are in Christ. A new family, new opportunities, a new environment. Um, you know, as I said, I came out of the drug culture of the 70s. I stepped into something that was completely different than that. Everything passed away. Everything became new. Suddenly, the desire for those things that I had tried to quit on my own so many times, uh, the desire just went away. You've got to imagine this. Here I am at 23 years old. I'm, I'm basically uh, functioning, a functioning alcoholic, smoking pot, um, doing acid, doing coke, snorting meth, uh, opium, everything, everything I'd get a hold of. And I come to this realization that my life's not going anywhere. And I pray this simple prayer. I said, God, if I'm doing anything you don't like, if you're real and I'm doing anything you don't like, you're going to have to take away the desire. And when I reflect back on that prayer, if I'm doing anything you don't like, really? That was what I, <laughs> that's what I prayed? It's like, just in case. You know, I'm sure you're fine with all this, but just in case. Um, but anyway, God heard that, that prayer and actually began uh, to work and to change my life. And I would say it this way. He adopted me into his family. In fact, I'm going to spend the rest of our time in Ephesians 1, and I want you to look with me at Ephesians 1, 5, where it says this. He destined us for adoption, that word adoption, as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will. So we stop and think about that verse for a moment. I believe this passage here is what gives teeth and what sets on fire 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. God in his pleasure, the pleasure of his will, it was the will of God, it was his good pleasure to adopt us as his children through faith in Jesus Christ. And what he's really saying there is he's brought us out of one kind of life and into another, out of one family, if you will, and into another. So I love this, God destined us. He destined us for adoption. God had his eyes on us to adopt us before we even knew that we needed adoption he had already decided that he would adopt us, that he'd bring us into his family. He would embrace us and bring us into his family through a relationship with Christ. I love that word destined. It actually means to determine the limits of something or to set the limits in advance. And so really God determined in advance what would be the limits of our adoption. In other words, he would embrace us, he would bring us in, and there would be guidelines set up for that adoption. And from our perspective, they're all good. All of the guidelines for adoption are good. Old things pass away, everything becomes new. Old things, every old thing, every new thing, those are the, those are the boundaries. That's the guidelines of God's adoption, that he makes all old things to pass away and everything to become new. It's his will and his good pleasure to adopt us. So when we get adopted, when, a, when a, a child gets adopted into a family, suddenly that child has access to new things. Uh, we have people in our, in our church in Fort Dodge who have adopted children, and sometimes the children are very young, have come out of uh, difficult situations, and suddenly they come into a family where they have access to something entirely different than what they had access to before. You have access to new things when a child gets adopted. Um, Things we didn't have before adoption. And Ephesians 1.18 actually uses that terminology. I'm just gonna, I don't have a slide for that, but I just wanted to read part of Ephesians 1.18. It says, the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints. And so there's an inheritance involved in this as well, an adoption with, with an inheritance along with it. And so there's several verses in the book of Ephesians. This is where we're going to spend our, the next few minutes uh, that explain to us many of the new things that we have as adopted children, the things that we've received or the things that we've inherited as adopted children of God. 
And so, um, again, he causes old things to pass away and everything to become new. So we have new things. Everybody say with me. Say the two words, new things. New things. What does God want to do in our lives? New things. What does he want us to experience? New things. What kind of blessings does he have for us? New things. He wants us to experience things in this adopted family that we've been brought into. Things about how good the Father is, how good our elder brother Jesus is, uh, how good it is to have family, how good it is to have access to various things. So let's just jump into this. I'm just going to share a few verses with you kind of randomly here through Ephesians 1, and then we're going to get into chapter 2 a little bit, and I believe a little bit in chapter 5. It's just going to, I want to share some, some verses to just encourage you as to what we have as adopted children of God, okay? So verse uh, chapter 1, verse 3 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Has blessed means what? Already done, right? He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So there's a number of things in this verse, and I don't want to get you know, too deep theologically into all of this, but it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. The word blessed, in both of these cases, the word blessed is the Greek where the New Testament was written in Greek, in Koine Greek. And uh, the Greek word there is actually eulogio, from which we get the word eulogy. Um, not necessarily, when we think of eulogy, we think of something that happens at a funeral. Someone is eulogized. But the word eulogy literally, or the eulogio, literally means to speak well of someone. And so when it says that we have been blessed, it's really saying that God speaks well of us. We need to get our brains around the fact that God speaks well of us. There's a lot of different uh, ways, that, a lot of ways that people get confused about how God feels about humans or how God feels about them. It can be anything from anger and hatred. Uh, you know, sometimes images of Westboro Baptist, you know, will crop up. And that idea of God hates this and God hates that and this anger and all this, all this stuff that's going out of that to forms of deism where God created everything but he's not really interested in it and doesn't really want to have contact with humans to the idea of the fact that God unconditionally loves us and wants to be deeply involved in our lives which is actually what the Bible teaches. Emmanuel, God with us, that idea, that concept of Emmanuel, God with us, he's with us because he speaks well over us. He blesses us. He wants our lives to be blessed. And so when we read about Emmanuel, God with us, God on our side, God for us, God attending to us, it's part of the blessing that we have of being adopted in Christ, being adopted into the family of God, being brought into a relationship with God, is that he has blessed us. He has spoken well over our lives. Now, there's not one of us in this room, myself at the top of the list, that are perfect. We don't live perfect lives. We don't think perfect thoughts. We're, we're not always um, perfect individuals, certainly. And yet, God still chooses to love us and to speak well of us because he's adopted us into his family. Because of what Christ does for us, he sees us through Christ. In fact, there's an Old Testament passage that says he sings over us, that God sings over us, um, speaking of his joy over having us in his family. I was adopted at the age of 32 by God. I mean, who would do that? Who would adopt somebody at the age of, I'm, I'm sorry, I said 32. It was actually 23. I got my numbers backwards. I was adopted at the age of 23. So at the age of 23, who wants to adopt somebody? My life is a mess. But God reached out to me and offered this, blessings in heavenly places. And that idea of heavenly places, it's access to a different place. Uh, in this family, we get to have access to something greater than just our own way of thinking or the culture around us and the way it thinks and the way it acts. 
Uh, we get access to something that's higher than that, that's greater than that, and that is access to heavenly places. Probably sounds a little bit loftier than it is. It's just the idea of having access to joy and peace and hope and confidence in the midst of a world that's always shaken and always doubtful and always has questions. And if you watch the markets or you watch politics or you watch any of that, everything is always up and down. and There's, no, there's, nothing, there's nothing really stable and sure. And God offers us in the midst of all that spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And that's th- those are things that are, that are stable, that you can count on joy and hope and peace, love, unconditional love and God's grace. Let's look at another verse. Um, this is chapter 1 and verse 4. And it says this, just as he chose us, this is an incredible passage. Every time I read this, I'm just amazed by it. Just as he chose us, and I sometimes I have you say a word with me just so we make sure we're hearing it. Say that word chosen when I get there, will you? Just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. So when we talk about being in Christ, and that's where we're focusing, and that's why I have those, those words underlined. In Christ, this adoption into the family of God, being in Christ. Old things pass away, all things become new. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's unbelievable. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now, I'm not, I'm not a contractor. I don't build houses. That's not what I do. I've helped people a little bit, and then they usually ask me not to help anymore. But anyway, um, he says he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. This I do know, though. If you're going to build a house, you can't build a house until you lay the what? The foundation. You've got to lay the foundation first. Jesus told a parable about that, about a house built on the sand and a house built on the rock. And when the storms come, the sand moves, and what happens to that house? Collapses. It's built on the rock, built on the foundation. It stands up against those storms, right? So we, we understand that God laid the foundation for the world. Um, his spoken word, as he spoke the word in creation, it began to lay the foundation for the world. But what's incredible about this is it says he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. So what do you do before the foundation? What do you do before you lay the foundation? The only thing you can do before you lay the foundation is have a blueprint, know what you want to build. And somehow he chose, and I read this this way, not just humanity in general, but somehow God was able to look to this date, March 31st, 2019 right here in Tiffin, Iowa and see so you and I gathered together and say I'm I'm laying the foundation of the world for you so that you have a place to live so you have a place to exist so that I can interact and engage with you so that I can know you love you forgive you walk with you and show you the blessings in heavenly places he's given us this opportunity of having chosen us and I love that word cho- chose also it means he handpicked for a specific purpose it's not like he just handpicks us because we need a new life, because we need to be adopted. He handpicks us for a specific purpose. When God calls us, when he chooses us, he chooses us because he has a specific purpose for us in his kingdom. There are no, um, you know, there are no spectators in God's kingdom. He calls us because he has a specific purpose for our lives. And we're trying to figure out what is that, spe- that specific purpose. It's unique to us. What do you want me to be? How do you want me to live? That's kind of the question that we sometimes ask. If a child is adopted into that family, he just knows he's part of that family. He's there for a reason. And that family mission, the family vision, the family direction becomes his as well. And when we come into the kingdom, there's a kingdom purpose that God has uh, for, for this world, something he wants to do 
in this world. And the beauty of that is he's chosen us to be part of that, part of the work that he wants to do in this world. He's handpicked us, chosen us before the foundation of the world. And not only that, but made us holy and blameless. I don't know about you, but I can look at my life and realize I am not holy and blameless. I am unholy and blameable, right? But in Christ, I've been made holy and blameless, and so have you. That's, that's really good news. That's what it means to be adopted into this family. He's chosen us and made us holy and blameless. Look at verse 7 with me again on the screen. In him, say that one with me, say in him. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So again, in him, in our adoption in Christ, we have been given redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. As members of the family, adopted members of the family of God, we now have access to two very important things, forgiveness and redemption. And I'm going to take them that way. I want to talk about them in that order for just a moment. The idea of forgiveness, we all know what that is. It's to, to free someone, to set someone free, to pardon them. Um, I have been forgiven of things. I've had people forgive me for things I've done. Anybody here ever been forgiven for something you've done? Have you ever forgiven someone else for something they've done? Doesn't, there's something about forgiveness that just feels good, doesn't it? There's something healing in it. When you've, if, if you've been married, you've been forgiven. At some point. At some point in your life, right? If you're married, at some point along the line, your spouse has had to forgive you. Whether they told you or not, they had to forgive you at some point. And you've probably had to forgive them as well. Am I right about it? So this idea of forgiveness, we're, 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 uh, we're aware of it. We know how it works. But this, for, this forgiveness from God, the forgiveness of sins, is not just, I forgive you, but I'm never going to forget what you did. It's the release from bondage of sin, removing the shame and the guilt of sin. So freedom of our sins we have in this redemption in Christ. And, and the idea of redemption, it's a great word. It comes from the, the Greek word exagorasomai. And the agora, was, in, the, in the Greek, the agora is the marketplace. It's the place where people go to trade, to buy fruits and vegetables and whatever they need. The agora was the marketplace. Exagorasomai means to purchase and carry away. So if I were to go into the Agora and purchase some things, you know, and put them on my basket and carry, the, my, carry my basket out of the market, then I've, I've exagorasomai, I've bought something and carried it out. Well, it says that he redeemed us, literally means that he bought us and carried us out. When you say out of what? Well, there are verses that talk about we've been brought out of darkness and into light. We've been brought out of sin and into forgiveness. And so when we, we think about that, that's part of this adoption. We got adopted out of one culture, one atmosphere, and brought into something that's totally different. And he does that through forgiveness and redemption. Sometimes we beat ourselves up, but God has already forgiven us. And if God's forgiven us, we should learn to forgive ourselves. And not only forgive ourselves, but allow the, the power of his presence, the power of his Holy Spirit to change us as well. Um, verse 10, chapter 2, verse 10 says this. We're just going to move through these. Um, for we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. This is great. So God adopts us into this family, and he brings us into the family. He says, welcome to the family. You've been forgiven. You've been redeemed. Um, you've been purchased. One, another way of thinking of that word redeemed, let me go back to that for just a second, is the ransom has been paid. Let's say you were held captive and there was a million dollar ransom on your head and nobody could pay that million dollars. And suddenly someone walks in the door and says, I've got the million dollars, I'm going to pay. You don't know this person, but they lay down the million dollars and you're freed from that ransomed situation. What would you do? 
You'd run out of there, you'd celebrate, you'd be thankful to the person who ransomed you, right? And that's kind of the idea of redemption, that Christ has paid a price, the price of his life, which we're about to celebrate here coming up on Good Friday and then the celebration of the resurrection on Easter. He paid a price so that we could be set free, so that we could be purchased out of the marketplace of this world and brought into his kingdom, be brought out of one life and adopted into his family. And so it says he's created us in Christ for good works. So he brings us into this family. He says, by the way, this is a family of good works. This is a family that cares about other people. This is a family that engages with the world and the culture around them in such ways that we embrace them, that we show them love and unconditional love and compassion, that we help their lives be changed, that we, we drill wells in India, we give sack lunches to people in Iowa City, we make a difference in people's lives on a daily basis. It's a, it's a way of life to do good works. We say, well, what are good works? works are, good works are works that are good, things that help other people, things that help other people in their lives. And so good works, it says here, should be our way of life. The church that we have been adopted into has a mission I read this one time, I don't remember exactly who it was, but this, the church has the mission of causing people to ask this question, why would those people do that for me? That's the mission of the church, to cause the people around us to ask the question, why would those people do that for me? Why would Infuse Church do that for me? I'm so glad to see that you're getting involved with your community, helping with uh, the fun fair for the, for the school and doing those kinds of community events. We have done those things for years. And honestly, when you get involved and do that kind of stuff, it actually make, makes you look better than what you really are. It makes you look like you're, like you're really doing more than what you really are because people hear about what you're doing, you know. And I have people come to me all the time, hey, your church does so much. It's like, I feel like we're just scratching the surface. There's so much more we could do. And yes, we are engaged in our community because that's what we're there for. We're there to be salt and light. We're there to make a difference. We're there to show the unconditional love of God that comes from the Father and flows through his adopted children. And we're all adopted. There's only one natural-born son in the kingdom. The rest of us are all adopted into this wonderful kingdom. And so when it says this, that this, this lifestyle of doing good works, that's what he created us for. That's what he brought us into his kingdom for. Let's look at another one, 2.13. I'm just about done. Nudge your neighbor say, wake up, he's almost done. Um, <laughs> some of you actually did that. 2.13 says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once, uh, once were far, far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so Again, this, this idea of adoption, get this in, in your mind that we have been brought near to God. God is not some distant being way out there somewhere that we're not really sure about. Um, I'm, my wife was raised as a Baptist, and she always had this image. I, was, I, was raised, I, w I wasn't raised in the church, so I was kind of a, I guess what you'd call a, an unsaved person. But, or, you know, I just didn't have any concept of it. But my wife had this idea of a God who had a big two-by-four waiting for her to step out of line so he could smack her with the two-by-four. Well, it's really hard to feel close and loving feelings toward that kind of a God. Uh, but a lot of people feel that way. A lot of people uh, have those kinds of ideas. But it says here that we've been brought near to him in a, in a family relationship. We've been brought near to the Father. He's not someone that can't be reached, but someone who is waiting for us to access him through prayer. And there are verses that talk about having boldness and confidence to come before God in prayer. Not boldness and confidence in who we are, but in who he is and how deeply he loves us. I mean, if he's going to adopt us into his family, he must really love us and he must really want to hear from us. And he must really want to use us to make a difference in his world. Um, just a couple more verses. 222 says this, 
in whom you also are built together. Say that word together with me. Together. Read it in the verse with me. You, I'm sorry, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. And so this is true of the, of the church worldwide. And you know, my wife and I have been able uh, to travel into a lot of countries. We've done mission work in, um, in Russia and in France and Peru, Bolivia, Nicaragua, uh, most recently just in India. We've been to a lot of places. And we meet family members everywhere we go. We meet people who are part of the family of God. I have friends in all these nations all over the world that I really consider dear friends. I can't speak their language. We have to speak through a translator if we speak at all. A lot of times we just look at each other and go, you know, we, we enjoy each other's presence. It's just all there is to it. And, uh, and yet we're being built together as a, as a family, as a dwelling place for God. And when you think of the local church setting, it's the same kind of thing. Remember the puzzle piece I gave you the last time I was here? Well, that, that idea of us all being part of something together, making a picture of something? Well, that's kind of the idea of this dwelling together, a dwelling place for God, coming together as a dwelling place for God. See, God's too big to just live in me. He's too big to just live in you. He needs all of us. And when he lives in all of us, we become a dwelling place for God. God's beauty, God's presence is seen even greater. So this implies growing and learning together and becoming a place together that reaches out for God and makes a difference in the world. And that's what I see here. That's why God's blessing, I believe, is on this church. That's why I see new people here every time I come here because this church is called to make a difference together. We come together for that purpose. Um, 312. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12 says this, in, in whom we have access to God in boldness and confidence through faith in Him. And that's the verse I, I referenced here a moment ago. The idea of coming to God with boldness and confidence because we know He loves us, because we know He adopted us, that gives us confidence that when we pray that He hears our prayers. And if we have confidence that He hears us, then we know that we'll have what we've asked for. We can pray believing that God will actually answer our prayers. That we're not just throwing empty words up to empty space. We're speaking to a God who loves us, who adopted us, and who wants to be intimately involved in our lives. And the last one I want to share with you is chapter 5 of verse 8. And all of this being in Christ, for once you were in dark, you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light in the Lord, being adopted into the family. Read that when you read you read through Ephesians. I'm just hitting a few of these. There's a lot more than that. If you go and read through the book of Ephesians and just look for in him, in whom, in who, in Christ. There's, it's just they're all over in the book of Ephesians. And Paul's trying to tell us a message in Ephesians. He wrote to the church there in Ephesus in that day, and he was saying, you, you need to understand what you've received in this adoption. You need to understand what this inheritance is all about. And so all of this in the Lord, in Christ, in Him, in whom, it's all about our adoption. It's all about what we've been brought into. And here it says, once we were in darkness, or once we were darkness, excuse me, and bless you, and now in the Lord you are light, live as children of light. So we've been changed from darkness to light. And that was very evident in my life when, uh, when my life went through the, the great transformation that it did, you know, almost 40 years ago now. But it's still, my life is still every day in the process of being transformed into more and more light because there's always more that God wants me to know. There's more that He wants me to experience of Him. There's more that He wants me to do to reach out to the world around me and the same with all of us. And so in Him, we become the source of illumination to this world. There's an old saying, you know, it's, it's really easy to point our fingers at all the wrong things in the world and curse the darkness, but that doesn't fix anything. Um, there's an old saying where I started to go a moment ago that you can curse the darkness or you can light a candle. Cursing the darkness doesn't change it. What does lighting a candle do? It creates light, right? 
and imagine more and more lights being lit. Do you realize it was 7.7 billion people on the planet today? 7.7 billion people. 2.5 billion of us are Christians. That's almost like a third of the population of the world confesses to be followers of Jesus. Imagine if we all lit our lights, how much light we could bring into this world. Somebody's, you know, we, again, we look at the condition the world's in sometimes. Yeah, 7.7 billion people. We can really mess stuff up really good now because there's a bunch of us, you know, so we can really mess things up. But honestly, there's never been a greater time for the gospel to be able to be light and darkness because there's never been an opportunity to reach so many people. And some of those people are right next door to you. Some of those people are in your neighborhood. You work with them. There are people all around you that just need the light of God's love. We don't have to pound verses down their throat. We don't have to tell them they have to change. We just need to take this family blessing that we've been given and let it live through our lives, and it will make a difference. Because of our inheritance, we've learned the nature of our Father. You know, when you're born into a family, you look like, you look like your parents, you know. Um, my sons look like me. I feel bad for them, but it's just the way it is. But, you know, we, we, they, we take on natural tendencies, natural characteristics. When you adopt, there's not necessarily that natural tendency, but I've watched adopted children grow up with the mannerisms of their father and their mother. The same mannerisms is not in the DNA. It's from being around them so much that they just become like them. They start acting like them and thinking like them. They take on the nature of their father, and that's what this adoption's about. It's about us taking on the nature of a father who is unconditional love and light and carrying that to the world around us. So live, that last part of that verse, I'm sorry, the last part of that said, live as children of light. Live as children of light. We're adopted into the kingdom of light. Live as children of light. Because when we do that, darkness runs, lives are changed, people are, are set free, and more people get adopted into the family, and a year from now it could be 3 billion instead of 2.5. That's all I got for you. Let me pray a simple prayer for you before we conclude here. Father, we're thankful for this opportunity today to be in your presence, to know that you love us, that you've adopted us, that we are in you, and that in you we have so many new opportunities, that we have become new creations, old things have passed away, and everything has become new. I bless this church, I speak your blessing over Infused Church, I speak over this body, and over the individuals that make up this body, that Lord God, those things those spiritual blessings that you have in heavenly places would be things that they would become um, acutely more and more daily aware of and walk in. I pray for pastors Taylor and Stephanie and all the leaders, all, the, all those who are part of this body being this body. I thank you for your blessing on them. I thank you for your uh, touch on them physically, emotionally, spiritually, that their lives would be a blessing to this body, and this body would make a difference in this world. And we're thankful for it in Jesus' name. Amen.